So last week I began a two-week series. And sometimes a series does not go two weeks, right? Maybe three, maybe four weeks. And if I'm really, really into it, maybe six weeks. But this one is a two-weeker because this one I want you all to remember. I don't want you to get lost in everything that's being preached. And I told you last Sunday that if there is anything you remember out of anything that I preach for the rest of the time that I'm your pastor here at home church, and even in the past, the things that I have preached, if there is anything that I want you to remember, it's these two weeks. These are the two weeks that really, really matter. I believe God is prophetically speaking to the church today because we know we are in the last days, amen? I mean, it's hard not to see that. It's hard not to see that. Things are going crazy. Things even here are crazy. So we know very soon Jesus is going to come back. If it was soon 2,000 years ago, it's even sooner now, amen? So I think what God is saying to the church is what I believe he's having me say to you all here at home church. That he wants us to, to refine and refocus the vision, if you will. To be able to simplify it to know what we're supposed to do as the church today in these last days, really ultimately ever since the church age began when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, that is when church began. And everything that we're learning in these two weeks are exactly what Jesus told us to do. And it's so important that we grab onto these two truths because if we can't do that as the church, then we have no business being the church. Amen? No business be in the church. And what I want more than anything is for home church to be the church that's going to obey what Jesus told us to do. And he simplified it so much. And what I said last week is we're at a crossroads. We are at a crossroads. We can either do church my way, me, myself, and I. This is how I want worship. This is how I want the message to be preached. This is how I want to serve God. This is what I want to do when I come here. This is why I come to church is because it's about me. And I think the church in America, I think, honestly, it's kind of gone that way, if I'm, if I'm speaking truth. Amen? But what I believe we've done as home church and what we're going to continue to do is do it God's way. Amen. That's, Amen. Amen. And what I want is the testimony of who we are as home church to spread out into this community so that more and more people will come here and say, you know what? They're not about themselves. They're all about Jesus. They're all about his way. And how I know that is because they worship God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. But then they also, they also love us, the people, and love each other just as much. It's so simple. And why do we want to be that church? It's because this is what Jesus said, and I'm going to be in the message, okay? If you, want, if you don't have the message translation, that's okay. But the message to me is where it's at for this message that I'm preaching to you today. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 22. I read this last week. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. In other words, your heart, mind, and soul. And this is the most important, the first on any list but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. So I love this because he says, basically, love God the Father with everything you have. And then what you set alongside that is love each other just as much as you love yourself. That is so important. And he said, if you can get those two things down and you can do that, then basically everything else is going to take care of itself. Every law, every commandment, everything the prophets said in the Old Testament that are coming to pass now, it's already come to pass and it's going to continue to come to pass. Everything hangs on those two things. Everything. So if you want life to go well for you, as Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, this is where Jesus got this from, is Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
And out of Leviticus chapter 19, he got these two things from, the greatest commandments, right? He said that, that life will go well for you. Life will be good. And how many of us want a good life? Man, I do. And see, the funny thing is that some of the songs that we sang this morning was all about Jesus being faithful, right? Like even though life sometimes does not seem like it's going very well, he's faithful. And if I can remember that and just pour out my love to him and then consequently love people the same way, then it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, life will just be good, you know? And I'm, I'm having to learn that myself because I got stuff going on in my life and I'm sure you all do too because hey, if you're a believer, you're gonna have a bullseye on your back and the devil's gonna come after you and stuff's gonna happen. But see, my heart belongs to Jesus and my heart belongs to you, the church, and that's where it's at and I know everything is gonna go well for me. So it's written that way, but also we look to Jesus as the example. He's the example of loving God and loving people. And I love this because he keeps it so simple. And I think, like I said last week, we complicate things so much as believers, don't we? There's so much religiousness attached to following Jesus. And he makes it so simple. And so what I want for us, the church, home church to be known for is we love God and we love people. Can you remember that? If somebody were to ask you, so what is your church all about? Because I know you're inviting people to church, amen? <laughs> and somebody were to ask you, well, that's great you're inviting me, so what are you all about? Well, we're all about what Jesus said. We love God with everything we are, and we love you just as much. And you want to know something? If I was somebody that didn't go to church and you said that to me, that's where I'd want to go. And if I show up, by golly, it better be true. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the word that you've given me today. I just ask, Father, that as we're sitting here and we're listening, that you open our hearts to receive. That, Father, even as I am preaching, I just ask that you change course with me. If there's things that you want me to say that I haven't planned, I just ask that you just Help me to be led by you and the Holy Spirit today. And I thank you that what is said last week and what is said today, that it will not depart from our minds, our hearts, and our souls, that we meditate on this, that this is ingrained in us personally, and that we walk this out, even when we're not here in this building, that we are still the church that loves you with everything we are and that loves people just as much on the outside of this building as well. And Father, we pray this right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I have somebody that, that comes to church here that gave me this testimony. And I think it's exemplary of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 22 about loving God and loving people. And I just, I just want to call this testimony out. I don't want to say the person's name. I don't want to embarrass them because I have no idea I was going to talk about them today. But he was telling me this story about how he came across a young man who apparently the pastor of the church that he went to told him to leave the church because he was living with his girlfriend. And I was like, ooh, I don't know if I agree with that. Matter of fact, I don't agree with that. They're going to church. Right? I mean, God is going to change them. I believe that. You follow Jesus, he's going to change you. It may take some time because how many of you, how many of us are still dealing with stuff that we have in our lives that we don't want to do anymore, right? And so he goes on to explain that he encountered this young man and he actually took him under his wing and told him what God said about what he's doing and how he needs to change. And that young man ended up marrying his girlfriend and making it right. But see, why I like that testimony so much is because I believe that gentleman who is sitting in this room today 
I know he loves God with everything he has. And because of that, the way that he responded to that young man was not judgment and condemnation. It was not a religious attitude. It was love. It was love. And now, in that area at least, that young man is right with God because he took the time out, and that's key, took the time to minister love, just like Jesus would, to that young man. That's the example that we need. See, loving God with everything we are, our response to people is loving them, not judging them. So who do we follow as the example? Well, yes, we follow that man's example, but see, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So that man's example is awesome, and I'm trying not to look at him. (laughs) But the fact is, what I want to follow is Jesus, who that man is following. Because I want to be like Jesus, amen? And so the great example of this that Jesus lays out is in Luke chapter 10. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, that's what I'm going to be mostly this morning. And beginning in verse 25, and again, I'm in the message version, and I absolutely love this version because this version, as, as we enter in chapter 10, has the subheading, defining neighbor. So Jesus is going to define the neighbor. So what Leviticus in chapter 19 says, love your neighbor, and what he said in Matthew 22, love your neighbor. Right now we're coming down to Luke chapter 10, and he is going to define neighbor. And I want to know how he defines neighbor. So he says this. Luke says this. Just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. So here we go again. Jesus being tested by the religious people. I love this because Jesus puts them in their place always, doesn't he? And see, he does this in a way where it's very loving. He takes the time to explain, hoping that there'd be a heart change. But as we well know with the Pharisees, there was not a heart change for most of them, right? But he still takes the time. And this is what the Pharisee asked him. He says, teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? There is the heart. First of all, what do I need to do? Me, myself, and I. That's what I care about. What do I need to do? Not what do people need to do. No, what do I need to do? Because I only care about myself. What do I need to do to get eternal life? Which the second part of that question is horrible because how many of us know we can't do anything to earn and get eternal life? So his question right out of the gate is religious in nature. He doesn't care about the heart behind what he needs to do. All he cares about is what do I need to do? And I think as the church, sometimes we get that wrong, that we have to do something to prove that we belong to Jesus. The motive is about us. The motive is about us feeling good about ourselves. So this question is completely off base. But Jesus is very patient and wants to explain. So Jesus answers him and says in verse 26, he answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? See, again, Jesus is interested in the heart, so he wants this man to explain. So what is the basis for your question? You know the law. How do you, Mr. Religious Person who knows the law, can explain it? Can you explain it to me? How do you interpret it? And I love this because whenever we hear the news about the Supreme Court ruling on something, right, it's not just that they are looking at the letter of the law, like What does it exactly say? But they look at the spirit of the law, the intent, the heart behind why it is written. And see, what this Pharisee is interested in is 
just tell me what I need to do. I'm more interested in the letter of the law. It's written here, so I need to do it. But what Jesus is more interested in is the spirit of the law. Why was it written? What's the intention of it? And so he's allowing the Pharisee to explain. So in verse 27, the Pharisee says this, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. That's awesome. That's awesome. He answered correctly. He knows the law. He knows the letter of the law. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He quoted Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That's great. Knowing it and doing it are two different things, amen? Amen. And what we saw consistently through, through the New Testament, through the Gospels specifically, is that the Pharisees were not interested in the spirit of the law. They were interested in just hammering people over the head with the letter of the law. This is what it says. If you ain't doing it, I don't want nothing to do with you. They didn't quite catch on with the fact that if you know what it says and then you lovingly help people come alongside and teach them and show them and actually live it, that they might actually obey, they couldn't put those two things together. All they were interested in is the letter of the law. And Jesus answered in verse 28, he says, good answer. Do it and you'll live. Like, I almost see him kind of sarcastically saying this. <laughs> That's awesome that you know it. Now go and do it. Amen? I think we can all repeat that verse. I am supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And I really do a good job of loving myself. Amen? <laughs> I'm not really loving others, though, like myself. But I'm really good at loving myself. Man, we can repeat those two commandments very well. The question is, are we doing it? Are we doing it? That is something, again, like I said last week, requires self-examination. I can sit here up all day long and, and preach about how we're supposed to love God and love people. But ultimately, we're accountable to ourselves, Right? Like what I said last week, I can't give you a vision. I feel like this has been my problem. I can't give you a vision without steps. Step one, two, three, and four. Like beginning of this year, we talked about loving. We're supposed to seek the welfare of the city. We're supposed to love the community. And I, and I said, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to pick up trash on the first Saturdays of, of every month. We're going to have people go out and pray for the businesses. We're going to be part of the Chamber of Commerce. We're going to allow the city to use our parking lots and use our building if they need buildings for, our building for meetings. We're going to do bam, 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 X, Y, and Z. This one is not a list that I'm going to give you that we're just going to do. This is one that requires self-examination and accountable to ourselves as to whether or not we're really doing this. Am I loving God with everything I have? Am I loving people? And there are some things as as a church leader that I can hold your feet to the fire to, but ultimately this is not easy because this is not tangible. Love comes from here, right? Love comes from the fact that as a believer, the Holy Spirit has renewed me, has made me a new creation. And now as I'm walking and following Jesus, now hopefully I'm getting better at that. I'm changing And I think this is kind of a reset, no matter where you are in your walk. No matter if you're a new believer, maybe you're sitting in here and you're an unbeliever. We'll we'll talk about that here in a minute. But as a new believer or even an older believer, I think we we got to recenter ourselves to these two basic things that we need to be doing. And we need to examine ourselves, examine our own hearts, as the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor that I ain't perfect at this either. Okay? I'm not. But this is where all of us need to be. I'm sorry, it's so funny. I'm looking at all you. You got these dots on your shirts. <laughs> Guys look like a bunch of dipping dots, man, just sitting out here in the congregation. I promise you, I'll explain what they mean here in a minute. 
But Jesus said, do it. You religious nerd, do it. And you'll live. We want freedom. We have freedom in Christ, amen? And that freedom allows us to love God with everything we are and to put ourselves aside and love people just as much. That's truly living. That is. And no matter what stuff I got going on in my life, no matter what it is that I'm dealing with, no matter what it is I'm on my knees begging God to deliver me from or heal me of, man, if I just focus my complete attention on loving him first, and my first response to people is loving them, then I'm here to tell you that's true freedom. That's true freedom. Our first love is God. That means our relationship is strong. And see, that's what I'm learning. I'm learning that as I'm going through this thing called life, as long as that is good, then I start to feel like I'm on fire. Like I could do anything for him, including put my selfish side aside and love people. That's freedom. So Jesus said, that's a great answer. Now go and do it. And what does this Pharisee do? Oh, I love this. Oh, my gosh, this is so much us. Come on, if we can be honest, this is so much us. In verse 29, Luke writes, looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Like, Jesus, can you, like, narrow it down for me a little bit? Like, I'm sure you're saying not everyone. Like, maybe people that, like, believe like I do or follow God like I do. I could love people like that. The Pharisee was looking for a way out. How many of us do that as believers? Looking for a loophole. This is what the Bible says, but I want to punch a hole in it so that I don't have to obey it. Like, I'm more interested in the letter of the law. Maybe occasionally I'll give, like, a handout to the poor that's on the street. There you go. I fulfilled the second half of the greatest commandment. I love people, and I can pat myself on the back. Amen? But it would come some, to somebody that's more offensive. Like, opposed to the gospel. Like, calls me a hypocrite as a Christian, or does something to me, like cut me off in traffic, which I have mentioned that, which God is still working on me on that one. Now that's my loophole, I ain't gonna love those people. But if you look at the meaning of neighbor in the Greek, it means everyone that you come in contact with, everyone, not somebody that you line up with and agree. What is a loophole? Well, the definition that I found on the internet, because the internet is true and everything, right? But when I saw this, I was like, this is awesome. This is perfect. A loophole is an ambiguity or inadequacy in a system such as a law or security, which can be used to circumvent or otherwise avoid the purpose uh, the spirit of the law, implied or explicitly stated of the system. Originally, the word meant an arrow slit, a narrow vertical window and a wall through which an archer could shoot. This is awesome. So this made me think about actually a castle that I visited recently when I went to Scotland with Lisa. We went to a castle called Stirling Castle in Stirling, Scotland. And here's a video. I'm going to go and run it. I'm going to show you what a loophole is. So this is the wall of the castle. There's Pastor Dave. Say hi, Pastor Dave. So there's a section in the wall of the castle, and as you go into the actual turret that's near the entrance of the castle, there you will see a slit where an archer can fire his arrows through, and there are three of them, 
And I absolutely love this. I'm a big history buff, so I love looking at this kind of stuff. But basically what it does is allow the archer to shoot out and be protected. So there's a hole punched in the wall. There's a hole punched in the law that this Pharisee is looking for, not just to narrowly, like a slit for an archer to shoot out, to narrowly obey, but also to protect him from having to fully obey the spirit of the law. That's the loophole. And I think we as believers, we do the same thing. See, that's why I think there are some people that are no longer going to church. They don't go to church anymore because they see us basically looking for a loophole in loving people. They call us hypocrites. They don't want to come here, not just home church, but other churches, because they feel like that we don't love them, that we won't love them, because we're constantly looking for a way out, and we're constantly looking for ways to protect us from having to obey the spirit, not the letter, but the spirit of the law. So Jesus continues, and now I'm in verse 30. The Pharisee asks him, so who is my neighbor? Again, looking for a way out, hoping that Jesus will make it very easy for him. And Jesus answered by telling a story. This is awesome because how many of us like to listen to stories? I love it. If you can make a point through a story, I'm going to remember it. And so he loves doing this because, again, he wants to talk about the spirit, the intention of why God had this written. He doesn't want to look at what it says in black and white. I want you to know the heart behind it. And so he starts. He said, this, there was once a man traveling for Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving, leaving him half dead. How many of you in here feel like you're half dead? That you were beaten? That you were left behind on the side of the road? Uh, the dirty little secret is we've all been there as sinners separated from God, beaten, half dead. This is analogous to us, the human condition. He goes on, luckily, luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured one. Does that us, church? What is our angle? We're like priests, amen? We are. We're ministers of the gospel, not just me as pastor, but all of us as believers, we're priests. But we have an angle to get away from interacting and connecting with people and loving them. What is your angle? What is it? We all have an angle. But then like the Levitic, Le Levite, the religious man, he also avoided the injured man. So not only do we have angles to get away from connecting with people and loving them like Jesus, but then we also have a way to avoid. Do you have a way to avoid people? So you, you don't have to interact with them. What would that way be? Sometimes it's, I'm too busy, right? Or sometimes, I just don't like you because <laughs> there's something about you I don't like. Every one of us has an internal angle or an internal way to avoid people. And what I'm saying as the church is we've got to push those things aside. So here's some questions to think about. What is our response as the church when new people come into this church, into the building? They don't dress like you. They don't smell like you. They don't talk like you. They don't act like you. They're new. They're different. What is our response as the church? What is our response when somebody says, 
I'm going through something difficult right now. Can you pray for me? Do we pray for them? Or do we say, I'll write it down on my prayer list and I'll pray for you this week? What is the response when somebody that doesn't belong to our friend group interacts with us? Do we push them out? Do we ignore them? Or do we include them into our group? What is our loophole to protect us from loving people as they come into the church? There's two things. There's prejudice, and there's our time. There's things that we have set in us that make us think a certain way about somebody because they're different than us in whatever way. But then there's also that, that time thing because we, as Americans, are so busy. Amen? Like, not quite going long yet, but if I was, even if I didn't, even if I let out right now, some of you would race out of here to get to lunch because we have so much we got to do. And you want to know where ministry be- begins for a lot of us? As we start Sunday, the first day of the week, it's right here in this church. It's right there in the lobby, before and after service. That's an opportunity, if you were looking for one, that you can be the hands, feet, and the mouth of Jesus to somebody. It's right out there. That's why I'm out there. I'm not in a back room somewhere. That's why I'm telling the staff to be out there. We're out there because we want to minister to you. And you all can stay out there and hang out there and not have an angle and not avoid but actually be out there to minister to one another. That is where we can be the church. That is where we can say, I'm not too busy to be Jesus to somebody. That is part of the reason why we try to do everything we can to make out there comfortable as much as possible. Being friendly, having places to sit, having food, having coffee makes it a place where people want to stay and connect. He continues in verse 33. Jesus says, a Samaritan, traveling the road, came on him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. So a Samaritan. Why did Jesus pick a Samaritan? Because a Samaritan was despised and rejected by the Jewish people. Somebody he knew that the Pharisee would automatically, internally have a prejudice about, automatically would not want to reach out and love. And you know what I started thinking about? Sometimes the world loves people better than the church does. This Samaritan has nothing to do with the law, with the Jewish people, with the Israelites. He's outside, yet he's about to show what loving people is all about. And I don't want to be a church that is outdone by the world. So the key phrase is, his heart went out to him. This is all about his heart. This is all about our hearts going out to people. He gave him first aid disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you on my way back. The Samaritan is Jesus. He's Jesus. My heart goes out to somebody in need. My heart goes out to people. I don't even know who that man is. The Bible doesn't even say, Jesus didn't even say who that man is. It's just somebody that the religious people 
that knew the letter of the law avoided. But I, Jesus, who is being exemplified by this Samaritan, am enacting this through the spirit of the law, my heart. And not only did he take care of him right then and there, but he takes care of him throughout his life. Whatever he has need of, I'm going to pay for it. I'll come back and pay for it if there's any more expense. And who do you think the innkeepers were? The church. Us. Every Sunday, these doors are open. Every Wednesday night, the doors are open for the youth. Every Tuesday night, they're open for Bible study. Every time these doors are open is an opportunity for us to be the end for people that need Jesus. We have no idea what people are going through when they come in these doors. But we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. And he goes on to verse 36. He says, what do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? And the Pharisee answers, the one who treated him kindly. The religion scholar responded, and Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and do the same. So, in order to be able to serve our neighbor and to love them as much as we love God, we also have to be a good neighbor. And all I could think about when reading this passage was like the State Farm commercial. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Like a good neighbor, I'm there for my neighbor. Love God. Love people. Jesus passes it down to us. And he passed it down to his disciples. And later on, as we move on close to his crucifixion, during the Last Supper, this is what he said to his disciples in John chapter 13. This is beginning in verse 34. He said, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. If we can love one another very well, as much as we love God, as much as we love Jesus in the church, whether it's home church or any church, then those that are outside looking in, I'm telling you, they're going to come and see. They're going to come and see. And what I want them more than anything to see is Jesus when they see us, the people. Not a religious priest. Not somebody who's more interested in the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes. God is our first love. And our first response to people is love. There's a whole lot of firsts, amen? The way that we love God with everything we are, like I said last week, is we love him first before anything else. What is the reason why I come to church? My first reason, to worship him. What is my motivation for going to work or going to school? My first motivation is to do my work and do my schoolwork as unto the Lord because he's my first love. What is the first thing I do when I have free time? My first indulgence is to spend time with Jesus before I do anything else. It's all about first love. Making him first, loving him first, that is loving him with everything that I am. And out of that comes our first response to people, and that is love. Home church, I, I don't know how else to say this, and I know this is, seems like very simple. But moving forward, what we're all about is what Jesus said we are to do and exemplified how he exemplified it through what he said in the Bible is to simply love God and love people. That's it. That's what I want bleeding out of us. That's what I want when people come here 
to experience the love of God and the love of us, his people, his church, more than anything else. Do I want you to come on the first Saturday, which is this Saturday, and help me pick up trash? Yeah. I would love that. Do I want you to volunteer your kids' ministry and help out Pastor Christina because she needs help? Let me tell you. Not her personally. She's doing great. But the ministry <laughs> needs help. Yes. Do I want you to come here and listen to Pastor Dave's heart when he pours out his heart on Saturday, October 8th? Yes. But more than anything else, more than anything else, what I want you to do as you self-examine yourself, as I self-examine myself, is to love God with everything you are and to love people just as much. And then we'll begin to see these empty seats begin to be more full. Then all of a sudden, you're going to start working me harder, and I've said this a million times, I want to do two services. Come on, work me harder. Most importantly, the reason why I want people in these seats is so that they will come to know Jesus. And the way they're going to come to know him is by our witness. And we talk about a lot about the witness being outside these four walls, but I think it all begins in here. Our witness begins right in the actual church building. And if you could do it really well here, you can do it extremely well out there. So this is what I want written on your hearts. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, again, Moses was addressing the children of Israel, and he was giving them the commandments before they entered the promised land. As I have given you all the commandments that we are supposed to obey, not by the letter, but by the spirit of the law, because the church is on the edge of the promised land. Church, capital C. Like I said, crossroads. Need to make a decision. This is right here. These are the verses that define the vision of this church, home church. Just like every other church, we have a decision to make. God's way or my way. I'm doing it God's way. I'm going to lead you in doing it God's way. I want you to hope, follow me as I follow Jesus and do it his way. But as we are entering into this season and we're going to start taking the promised land that God has given us, has entrusted to us here in this part of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, these are the verses that I want you to get in your hearts. To love God and to love people. And Moses said this about these commandments. He says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Love God, love people, ingrain and written on your heart. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. We're going to be handing this down from generation to generation. The older people that are in this church, how you love God and love people, are going to be watched by the younger people in this church. The example is going to be made, and that's how we teach our children. He said, talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. How many of you in here have things in your house that are scriptures that are posted on your wall? See, we do that now as believers. Why? Because we want that reminder. This defines my home. In some homes I've walked into, I, I see that verse. It's out of Joshua chapter 24. It's, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You literally inscribe that on your house because 
that is what you want your home and what you want your family to be known for. Well, here at Home Church, what I want written on our walls, and you'll start to see this as we move forward in this, is that we love God and we love people so well that the younger generations are going to follow the older generations and that this is going to be carried on for generation to generation, however long that we're here as a church, for however long it takes for Jesus to come back, this is how we're going to be defined. And we're not going to just define it as the letter of the law, but when people come in here, they're going to experience the spirit of it. And I'm excited. This is our purpose as believers. This is also our purpose as homies here at Home Church. We will live and die by these greatest commandments. Love God and love people. Every one of you were given a dot. Some of you got them on your person. And you know what? I don't have it on me. Now I got to find, ah, there it is. Mine happens to be purple. So... Here's the point of this. I am going to force interaction. What I'm hoping is instead of rushing out of here for lunch today, because honestly, we're going to get out a little early this morning. Instead of rushing out of here for lunch today, what I'm going to ask you to do is find the people that have the same color dot as you and connect with them. Interact with them. Just get to know them. And if you know who they are, that's okay. But then go find somebody else with a color that is the same as yours that maybe you don't know. Because the more we know one another, the more that we can love one another, then it's a good exercise because when somebody new comes here, it'll just be ingrained in you to go and love them as well and make them feel like they're a part of God's kingdom. Can we do that? And you know what's going to happen? Is this whole loving people thing is going to become a lot easier. And I may actually do this in the future, so get ready. We'll do it again. Everybody, please stand. You know, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but it may be, it may be, you talk about loving God with everything that I am, and why should I? Why should I love God? And the answer is simply this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the only reason why I need to love God. It's not just for who he is, but it's what he's already done for us. And like I said, I think we complicate church, right? Where Jesus said all we have to do is love God and love people. And I think we also complicate what it means to be saved. I got to follow all these rules. And God is not interested in you just following the letter of the law. He wants our hearts. Amen. He wants our hearts. That's why in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, okay, that's good. We should do that. But he goes on to say, and believe that God raised him from the dead in our hearts. It's heart that God wants, not just lip service. It's so simple. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. All you have to do is believe. And 
earnestly desire in your heart to follow him, he will save you. He is faithful and true in doing that. And if you're in this room today or if you're watching online and you've never done that, you cannot put a date on the calendar that you said, Lord Jesus, here I am. I love you. I know you died for me. You took care of my sins. And I believe in my heart that you were risen from the dead. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life. If you cannot remember a time that you have done that, then what I'm asking you to do is simply slip up your hand and let me see it. If that's you. Last week was my new birth birthday. 26 years. I can put a date on the calendar. Today is September 25th. It's somebody's birthday in this room today. They're actually their natural birthday. But what I want today is somebody to come alongside and say, spiritual birthday. This is my new birth birthday. Because Jesus said we need to be born again. If that's you today, you've never received them. I'm asking you to raise your hand and let me have the honor of praying with you. Let's firm it up. Or maybe you're in this room today and you know you need to come back to Jesus. You've walked away from him. You'd like to recommit your life. Maybe you've done some self-examination as I was preaching and there's something in your life that you know is not right, that you want to get right with God. If that's you today, then I'm going to ask you to respond differently here in a minute. Or maybe you're in here today and you have never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just read in Acts chapter 2 about how the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they began to speak in other tongues. And maybe you have questions about what that means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's okay because I had questions too. I was raised Catholic and so that was a completely foreign thing to me. I had no idea what that was. I felt it was weird. But Somebody lovingly explained it to me and I was filled and now I've been speaking in tongues for 26 years and without that power, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. So I'm inviting you to investigate, explore that. If that's you today and you wanna respond and find out more about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to speak with other tongues, if you need to recommit your life to Jesus, or if you wanna receive him for the first time as Lord and Savior, then as we are worshiping today, you can go to the back and there are people that are lined up against the back wall that will meet with you and lovingly pray with you. Now I'm gonna pray right now. Father, I just wanna thank you so much for everybody that's here today. I just wanna thank you that today is the day that we're making a personal commitment to you to say that we're gonna love you with everything we are and we're gonna love people just as much. Father, I thank you. This is a new beginning for us individually in this room, but also for us as home church. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.